the amount of people that told me you don't want to be a chef you don't want to be a chef you don't earn any money you don't get your weekends you no know, it's not a good career path welcome to another episode of the burnt chef journal hosted by myself chris hall the founder of the burnt chef project this week's guest is 30 year old ollie marlowe who did his apprenticeship at Tewton Glen in Hampshire and then went on to work in world-renowned restaurants such as the Fat Duck, Levin Madison Park and Maymo in Oslo. For over four years, Ollie has been the exec chef for banquet winner and veteran Simon Rogan. He appeared on The Great British Menu just last week and he's a fantastic addition to the lineup of the Burnt Chef Journal. Lamb Western are your partner in potatoes. We're a leading global frozen potato manufacturing business with a wealth of experience in offering a portfolio of high-end and quality products on a consistent basis. We supply the pub, casual dining, QSR sectors. We believe in well-being through potatoes and we are very proud to support the Burnt Chef Project. Here to offer our support and help for those that need it and any solutions that you need for you and your business. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thank you, sir. Very well. The sun's shining, so uh, I'm going to close the relaunch. Nice, isn't it? Nice. It's uh, yes, yeah, the sunshine yeah. makes a big difference, doesn't it? Massively so, massively so. I mean, it's something that we uh, we miss so much living as well. It's not something that we're used to, hey? Exactly. Yeah, it makes makes me feel a lot better. So, what are you up to at the moment? Whereabouts in the world are you? Um, so, I'm in uh, London uh, in Owlets, our test kitchen. Um, Obviously, spend a lot of time in Hong Kong normally, but can't actually fly there at the moment. Um, and just working on loads of new projects. Um, fingers crossed if COVID lets us, then yeah, hopefully we've got loads of stuff happening in uh, America and um, yeah, lots of exciting things happening, COVID permitting. I know. Well, the thought. Yeah. So I'm just taking. I'm planning for everything, but doing nothing if you like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. Um... Yeah, you don't want to get your hopes up, do you? But also at the same time, you've got to try and remain a little bit positive because you just, you know, you exactly. don't want to get caught with our trousers down, do we, at the like last minute? No, we don't know. And it's, it's always nice to have something to look forward to, um, which is good. Um, but then you're the high, I don't want to get too excited, like you say, because if nothing happens, then it's like, well, I could theoretically be sat on my sofa for another three months, um, which I'm not going to complain about, but I'd much rather be working. Yeah, I think we uh, initially the the novelty is sort of worn off of the whole, uh, you know, not doing much and sitting around, and now we're all sort of wanting to get back to it, really, aren't we? So um, exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, we've been lucky; we've been doing lots of takeaways, and I don't think I've had more than a week off since since the first lockdown last March. I went to Hong Kong for six months, um, so when I, at the time I was a bit jealous, it's like you know, well, it's going to be nice to have a few months off, but. The longer it goes on, you realise how lucky you are um, that you're actually working, you've got a job and you're able to have the option to go to work, which I never thought I'd say. Um, being a chef, I thought being a chef, you'd always have a job, wouldn't you? Uh, but turns out it's not always the case. Um, no. So, yeah. no, it has been, it has certainly been testing times. But as the old saying goes, what doesn't beat us will make us stronger. And I think that genuinely coming out the other side of this, hospitality is, uh, as an industry will be so much healthier. I think yes, yeah. we're 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 looking at being more in, innovative. Um, you know, well-being is obviously at the forefront of everyone's minds as well. So, yeah, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. And it's also given yeah. us a lot of time. Boredom gives us a lot of time to be able to plan um, plan new projects and design new things. And you know, we want to be more creative. So, 
yeah, I mean, now, like you said, when else do you get the time to really to think about what what you want to do, what you want to achieve, what are the goals? Um, because most of the time you open a restaurant, you're just worrying about what's going to happen at lunchtime or what's going to happen at dinner time. You're like, right, let's just get lunch out of the way and then we'll worry about dinner. And then dinner's like, okay, well, let's worry about tomorrow. Um, so now you can see the bigger picture. Um, and I think it's from like, from a young chef's perspective or to you know, however old you are, or business, you, know, you really get to think, okay, what do we actually want to achieve? What do we want to do? Is this for me? Um, what do I want to do with my career? Um, yeah, and it's probably the first time ever that I've had a period of time to really reflect and think, what do I actually want to do? Um, so, yeah, it's been, I think in 10 years' time, we'll look back on this and say, you know what, um, that was actually a blessing in disguise for the industry. I know right now it feels like a, a bomb just hit us, um, but I think good will come out of it, um, being glass half full in that sort of perspective. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So... What brought you into hospitality? For me, it started at a very young age. Um, it was actually very recently. My godfather said, no, you're very lucky. You, you know, you've always wanted to be a chef. Um, and that is the case from the age of 13 at school. I knew that I wanted to be a chef. Um, everything else was just a waste of time. You know, sitting in geography, history, mathematics. Obviously, I know now how important that was. Um, but I knew all I wanted to do was cook. Um, so it started off when I was you know, 15 or 16. Um, I got a I think part-time job and it's two nights a week and a Saturdays at uh, my local sort of pub restaurant in Leamington in Hampshire called Stanmore House Hotel. I know. And you know, my mum would come down. My mum would come down after, well, after well, about 10 o'clock and drag me out of the kitchen because you've got GCSEs tomorrow. You need to worry about that, not about cooking. Um, so, I mean, that's where it started. And I didn't care about school. I, I know I did very well there because my mum's a teacher. She wouldn't let me fail. Um, but all I wanted to do was cook. Um, and obviously... You know, careers, evenings at school, they knew I wanted to be a chef. I went to Brockenhurst College to look around. And I don't think that was me at the time because it was a bit too much um, too much time at the college. I think it was a three-year college course. I wanted to do an apprenticeship. Um, so a random lady, probably thank her for my career now, um, as a five-minute interview suggested a specialised chef course um, for my college, um, which I know some amazing chefs have been through over the years. And I went down there, um, fell in love with it. I uh, did a three-year apprenticeship. It was like three months at college, one year at placement. I spent three years at the Tooting Glen Hotel um, in the New Forest, which was just amazing. And a five-star relationship at the hotel. Um, some of the most amazing people, uh, not just chefs, just amazing people who were you know, good for my uh, career path, uh, education, basically teaching me how to grow up. I started there when I was 16, I think like two days after my 16th birthday. So I was a child. Uh, I have no idea how to pay bills like do anything I literally turn up to work and they how to get dressed pretty much um so yeah I spent three years there until I finished my uh, college course if you like and no I ate at the fat duck when I was 18 and that sort of blew my world open I thought, oh my god this is just a complete another level uh, I went back to the shooting glen and I you know, sat down with Luke Luke Matthews is the head chef um I was like look I love working here. He's done amazing for me, but I want to go on to, you know, I want to say bigger and better things because, you know, they teach you different elements of cooking. And he was amazing. He sat me down and said, look, okay, look, over the next year, we'll try and work out, you know, what's the best for you. He really wanted me to go to France. Um, that wasn't right for me at the time. So I did loads of stars. Just went to the Manoir for a few days, Watley Manor. Um, and I soon realised I was nowhere near ready for that sort of level. 
I'm walking mm. to the manoir. I must have been 18, 19. I was like, wow, this is mental. Like chef's done at seven o'clock, finishing at one o'clock and just a military precision. I was like, I went back and I was like, it's that train journey home was probably the happiest I've been in a long time. So I was like, I just not ready for that. I knew I wanted to get to that level, but it was a stepping stone. Um, so I continued lots of stages and Luke was great like that. Um, and then one morning I woke up and just booked a ticket to Australia. I've always been like that. Um, but spur of the moment sort of vibe. Um, spent a year there, again, doing some stages. I worked at a really nice restaurant called Belmondo, which is closed now. Um, the head chef there was like the Ritz and Claridge's called Andy. He's also a specialised chef, so that sort of connection through the college, um, which is really handy. Um, after a year, the visa ran ran out. I went back, crawling back to the shooting Glen, and uh, Luke was sort of smiling, said, I thought I'd see you again. Um, I said, but this time it's real. I'm only here for a year just to work out what I want to do next. Uh, and then a friend who worked at the hotel at the time called Cameron, he mentioned you know, Simon Rogan. I'd never heard of him before. It would have been around 2010. He said, no, this guy's doing Great British Menu. He's an amazing chef. Now you want to get and work for him before he becomes a megastar sort of thing. Um, so I went down to London, did a trial at Roganic in 2011. I think it was a two-year pop-up at the time. Uh, got a job there. Um, no, I think there's five chefs in the kitchen and the level of the food was incredible, something that I'd never seen before at the time. I was like, you know what, I want to, I want to be part of this. Um, so that was a two-year pop-up. I was there for the last year. And when that came to an end, I wanted to go to travel, do some more traveling. I love, I've always had a passion for travel. Um, and I've been to New York before by myself because I've always spent all of my money on food and travel. Um, and I knew I really wanted to work at 11 Madison Park. Um, so I sent my CV there. Uh, I've done my research and I loved, I read the cook, well, I never read the cookbook, but you know, flicked through the pages and amazed by all the pictures. And I was like, I need to go and work there. Um, so I sent my CV there, got a reply within half an hour. I was like, you know what? I went into work the next morning. I was like, Andy, I need Tuesday off. And he's like, what do you mean you need Tuesday off? Like, we work five days a week, we close Sunday, Monday. I was like, I, I need Tuesday off. Like we're closing the restaurant in you know, two months. You know, we're not sure what we're going to do next. I want to go and work at Lev Madison Park and I've been offered a trial. He's like, you know what? go for it um, again he was a really nice understanding young chef so I went home booked a ticket flew to New York on the Saturday night stayed in the, probably the worst hotel I've ever stayed in spent all my month's salary on the flight the hotel booked the wrong return back I think I booked it a month later that's a big mistake oh. um, did a did a day's trial there um, got the job flew back and came to work Tuesday morning uh, Wednesday morning um, and then spent a few months working out the visa um, and then did a year at 11 Madison Park, which again, the first time you walk into that kitchen, there's like 40 chefs, 40 front of house, everyone's dressed uh, head to toe, starch, chef whites, black straight trousers, black socks, black shiny shoes. Everyone's, it's, it blew my mind. It's like, this is incredible um, for me. Uh, did a year there, the visa ran out. It's always nice when the visa runs out. You don't have to sort of hand your notice and you don't feel guilty. It's like, right, see you later. My year's done. Mm. Um, they asked if I wanted to stay on um, but I would have to commit to three years and at the age of 21 I, I don't think I'm ready to commit to three years of my life in New York I want to see more of the world and continue learning because it's still an education um, that's the way I saw it going to all these restaurants um, and I wanted to go to Scandinavia because obviously that sort of time you know, uh, Noma was going crazy and everyone's talking about that Scandi sort of vibe of cooking uh, but yeah. I didn't want to go to Noma, not because I didn't 
I, there's a, I've eaten there and it's incredible, but I wanted to do something a little bit different, go to somewhere where there's all four or five chefs in the kitchen um, and I'd be having more responsibility and be part of something special in the growth, not join it at the very end when it's already won all the accolades sort of thing. Um, so I've done a lot of research and had a restaurant called Mayamo that had two stars and like a young chef, well, not young, he was 32, I think 30 when he got his two stars uh, called Espen. So I applied for there, got the job, didn't even go for a trial, just booked a ticket, went there, sort of turned up. And I think their computers went down. They didn't realise I was coming before I was a stage um, for the first two days. Um, again, I don't sort of, at that sort of stage of my career, I never questioned money or contracts. I was like, just going to rock up and go for it. And the first minute of walking through that door, I think one of my good friends, Kane, just got one of the biggest bollocks I've ever seen in my life. And I realised, oh my God, this is, no, it's, this is going to be hard. Um, but I knew the restaurant was going in the right direction. Everyone that worked there knew what the goal was. And I'd never met anyone so passionate as Espen. Um, so I spent, long story short, about a year and three quarters there. Um, started chef the party. Uh, I think I was junior sous chef for a day before I become sous chef because someone left or got sacked probably. Uh, the, old, um, the old hospitality story, hey. <laughs> yeah. Um, and after a year and three quarters, I was pretty much a broken man or boy. I was only 23 or 20, I think I was 23 at the time. Um, I was sous chef, like running the kitchen because that's the way it was. Um, no regrets. Well, that probably was my one regret actually leaving there a little bit too early because um, I knew they were going to get three stars. I know you can never know, um, but just the food, the passion. I've never been anywhere that intense and that amazing. And I was there the night that they had a Michelin 8 and Rebecca Burr. And I was like, you know what? Like this place is going to get three stars. But I was so broken. So I need to need to get out of here. Um, and I started at the fact that I came when I was 18, 19. And I knew it was a restaurant I always wanted to work at um, because of the way they are with chefs, um, how they operate, just how amazing it was. It basically brought to light how amazing this industry can be and how good they are. Mm. So I texted my friend Matt. I was like, look, I need to get out of here. Jimmy Jobs going. Um, and they just come up from Australia at that time. So I went there as Chef the Party. Um, I didn't know Johnny Lake at the time. And I just needed to take a step back. And I was doing garnish, doing sauce. I was doing it my eyes closed, one hand behind my back sort of thing, because I was just happy cooking. I didn't really want the responsibility of running the kitchen or any of the pressure of developing. I just wanted to do that for six months. Um, got promoted um, after six or seven months. And I was really happy. I lived in the area, you know, doing five days a week. I get as long hours, but I wasn't stressed. I was eating healthily. I was you know, enjoying my life, doing exercise. And then, you know, Simon called and said that we're going to do Roganic again. Do you want to be the head chef? And I had to sit down. I thought I probably wouldn't leave the fact up for anyone else because I was really enjoying it and I had a good, good lifestyle. <clears throat> but I was like, you know what? I really enjoyed working with Simon. Um, probably the only chef I would leave for, like I said. There are you no know, better restaurants, whatever, but he's a great uh, manager and just a really nice person to work for, quite frankly. Um, so yeah, I went to open up Roganic um, probably four years ago now. Um, and after about a year and a half, um, Simon thought we we're going to do a restaurant in Hong Kong, a Roganic in Hong Kong. Um, do you know anyone who wants to be head chef? I was like, I'll do it. Well, you can't do it because you're in London. And obviously I'd always seen Ashley Palmer Watts at the Fat Duck do Dubai, oh, sorry, Melbourne, you know, London, Melbourne, London. So I fancy a bit of that. Um, 
And the first I mentioned it to Simon, he just sort of laughed, yeah, we're not, <laughs> we're not even going to entertain that one. Um, and I think he couldn't quite find the, the right head chef because he always wants to promote from within the group. He doesn't really promote from outside normally. Um, and then one Sunday morning, I remember clearly I was on the way back from a wedding. I was in McDonald's car park um, and he rang me up and said, oh, look, do you fancy going to Hong Kong for six months, set it up and then come back? I said, yeah, of course, yeah, I'll do that. Again, didn't question no salary, don't question anything. I've now got a house in Wokenham, the missus. So I accepted that. And then on the on the car home, I had to explain to the missus that I was going to Hong Kong for six months, um, which <laughs> was a bit, a bit tough. Um, and I always knew in the back of my mind, if I do if I do a good enough job in Hong Kong, I can almost set it up myself that I can almost do a bit of both, do three weeks in London, three weeks in Hong Kong. Uh, and that's what sort of happened. And then obviously when COVID hit, we closed Never Organic London. Um, you know, due to a lot of reasons, obviously COVID, the main the main one. Um, and now, yeah, just looking at, as we said before this chat, you no know, COVID gives you a really good opportunity to think about life and you know what we want to do as a group, you know, where we want to open, what do we want to achieve, um, who do we want to work with. Um, so yeah, we've got loads of new projects in the pipeline over the next year or so, uh, COVID permitting, and it's really exciting times. And yeah, it's a nice time to reflect. That's all I can say. What a what a what a history you've got of like working for some of the 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 greatest places as well around. Like even if it's just brief experiences, you 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 must have a pretty well rounded view and and some quite decent contacts within hospitality. Hey. Yes, I mean, it's like I said, most I've got uh, well, actually four brothers and sisters now. One of them's really young, but they've all been to university. Um. And I almost see up until the age of 26, it's like almost like your education. And if you go to university, you're paying hundreds of well, thousands of pounds for halls, for studying. And the way I see it in hospitality is like until you're 25, in my case anyway, it's like I'll go and work anywhere around the world and put myself in the restaurants that I want to work in. And it's not about the money. You can always earn more money somewhere else. Um, but I just wanted to learn. Like even now, I love learning and love questioning things and, I know what I'm good at and I, I'm very aware of what I'm not good at. Um, but at that age, I wanted to go and see, you know, different um, styles of cooking, whether it's in Scandinavia, whether it's in America, and just learn as much as I possibly could um, because you know, knowledge is definitely power. Mm. And, you know, the life lessons that you get from living abroad, um, that is probably the best thing about our industry up until COVID is that you can go and work. You can pick up a phone and go and work in any single country in the world and you can learn. Um, and you, know, you can never stop. I'd love to go to Japan. I'd love to go to India. Uh, there's so many places I'd love to go and see. Um, and I'm still relatively young, so hopefully I can keep ticking these boxes off. Yeah, definitely. And from the sound of things, it would be like, a, uh, you know, it could be next week that you go to India from how quickly you make decisions, hey? Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> um, I've always been... I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I've yet to decide. I've already decided that in you know, 30 years time. I've always been very spur of the moment. So I'll wake up and like, I need to go and work here. I want to go and work there. Obviously, I'm very happy now working with Simon for sure. But if I want to go on, if I want to go to a certain place, I won't question it. I'll sort of do it and deal with the consequences uh, later date. That's what I was when I was younger. Obviously, now I've got more commitments in life. That I can't just you know, pack my suitcase and go. Uh, mm. But I think when I was young, all you've got is a, a phone membership or whatever it is a phone contract and you live at home with your parents or you're renting it's like well how do you know it's in your, your flat and I was gone 
Um, but I've always been very um, sort of respectful of who I work for. Like I've always spoken to them and I've been very lucky as well with the people I've worked for. They've always had me uh, put my interests first, if you know what I mean, which I think is very lucky or very rare. Like going back to Luke Matthews at the Tune Glen, um, you know, it's very rare, like 15 years ago, that you could sit down with your boss and say, look, I want to leave. And they would be literally writing your CV and sending it out for you. Like he really wanted me to go to work in France at the time because he'd done his you know, apprenticeship and done his time in France at Michelin star level. It's like, no, you should go and work here. And he was sending my CV to like Adam Lucas and, and Sophie Pick and all these places. Uh, but it just wasn't probably for me at the time. And that is a massive regret. I would love to speak another language, um, but I've never had either the guts to move to France or Spain or throw myself into the deep end. Um, but I was very lucky with that. And you know, same with like, Johnny Lake. I sat him down and said, look, nice. I spoke to Simon and he said, look, if it's right for you, you should definitely do it. Um, so I've been very lucky in that aspect because a lot of chefs, they turn around and say, well, why do you want to do that? You've got it perfect here. You're an arsehole. Yada, yada, yada. See you later. And if you've forgotten, um, which is you know, it's very nice to have that. Especially as it sounds like with those particular individuals, both Simon and Luke Matthews, um, and I've I've had the pleasure of meeting Luke actually at you in Glen. Um, okay. I'm, a, I'm a Bournemouth boy myself, so. Oh, nice. Um, so yeah, and also you know I've been to Stanwell many many a time, but um, yeah, it sounds like both Simon and Luke have have not just enabled themselves to or helped you to benefit your career, but also at the same time they've ended up getting a, a well-rounded member of staff back to work for them because they've kept that they've kept that dialogue open and there's a good relationship there rather than just cutting someone off yeah it definitely works both ways 100 percent um i remember when i was at the when i started the fact like 15 years well 12 years ago maybe and you know heston had like johnny lake ashley palmer watts jockey a team of like ridiculous sous chefs and you think oh no he's so lucky to have these you know, five chefs around him um no because they they almost make it and then when I went to left Madison Park, the same thing. You know, Daniel Hume had a team of 10 that he kept really close to him, whether it's an executive chef, head chef, like seven sous chefs in it. And you realise he's not they're not lucky, these people, they're very smart, that they surround themselves with people that are passionate, very talented, um, and they all bring different skills to that to that restaurant. Like when I was at Le Madison Park, there's probably seven sous chefs, and every single one of them you could tell what their what their skill set was. Um, there's one guy called Tim, and when I was, I was on sauce, and there's this lamb sauce that had probably 20 different components in it. It's like one gram of coriander seeds, like six flaked almonds, like a sprig of thyme. It's ridiculous. Like, it's like, there's no way anyone's going to, you know, no one's wearing this out. As I had the dry sauce picking out bits and bobs, and you would taste it like you've missed out this or you've missed out that. And his palate was just incredible. He was, you know, not the fastest on service, but he was there because he was incredible with his palate and there's other chefs who are incredible on service and there are other chefs who are very creative and it's very important I think um you know, someone like Daniel or Simon is to you know, surround yourself with people that bring something who are passionate and have you know, a certain skill because no one's perfect at everything um, there's no way um so yeah all the best restaurants are in my opinion you know surrounded with you know, incredible chefs who are very good at certain things yeah it, well a, a good team a strong team from the sound exactly of well. a strong team yeah yeah because yeah, you can't do it by yourself um there's no way um absolutely no way and if you think it's one person then they're pretty delusional 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which we've all been at in certain stages in careers, haven't we? Where we think, oh, actually, yeah. we, don't, we don't need anyone else, so we can do this all on my own. And then you suddenly realise as the ship's sinking that there's yeah. no one to bail you out. So uh, it's exactly, a, tough, yeah. a tough lesson to learn, that one, isn't it, really? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. it's, it's, and working with people, like I, I love working with people, and I love, again, even my stage now, um, like executive chef, whatever, whatever you want to call it, I'm like, how did you do that? Or how, like, you know, I've been up to chef the parties and say, oh, how have you done that? Because it's, it looks really nice or it tastes amazing. Um, and it's having the confidence and not being you know, too big to say, look, okay, that's really nice, how have you done it? Or you know, would you mind helping me do this because I'm not very good at it? Um, because, you know, whether you wherever you've trained, there's always someone who's better at doing a particular thing. Um, or you ask advice from, um, so yeah, I, I love doing that. I love learning basically. Yeah. It's, um, Sat was saying the same thing as well. He was saying that, you know, if someone's been traveling, like, you know, if your KP has gone away to France and comes back with a new recipe, you know, he'll, he'll sit and help the KP put that dish together or to, to benefit from that knowledge. Because at the end of the day, we are like, we're a culture, we're a society, and we learn from each other and we can benefit from each other. So it's it's refreshing to hear you say that as well. Um, and in terms of 11 Madison, because I was chatting to Alan Stewart fairly recently, who works with Claire at Core, he was saying that 11, they, they you work long hours, but also you don't tend to work over your hours. Do they, are they quite strict on making sure that like time management is is key? So, I mean, for me, 11 Madison, I feel quite strongly about hours. Um, I'd say Le Manson Park is the only place in my 15 years that I've had the, a work-life balance. Um, and that's just being honest. I think I'm probably going to upset a lot of people. I think we're probably lying to ourselves uh, with the whole four-day week sort of thing. I don't think it's... It doesn't work for everyone, the four-day week, does it? And you start at seven in the morning, eight in the morning, finishing at midnight. Um, as a group, you know, we do it. It works for a lot of people, but it doesn't work for a lot of people as well. Um, but in America, I did AM or PM, you know, five days a week. So you'd either start at seven o'clock and finish at four, or you start at two and finish at midnight. So you would literally, you would not be allowed in the restaurant before your shift start. And when your shift finishes, you're literally kicked out of the kitchen. So if I was on AM and you were on PM, for example, you know, you'd come in at two o'clock and the sous chef would kick me out the door. I'd have five minutes to take to you, look, okay, I've done, done the ducks, I've made the sauce, but you need to make the puree, you need to set me up for tomorrow. So if I messed up or left you in the ship, basically, you'd have a bad evening. And then basically, you'd probably leave me in the ship tomorrow morning. So it's a team game. Um, and that was you know, a real eye-opener because you have every single night off if you're on the AM. So I remember it's the World Cup in Brazil, I think it was. And I watched every single game. I was out the kitchen at four o'clock. I was in uh, Central Park, sunbathing for a few hours, go to the pub, watch the football, come back. It was great. Um, but those, you know, eight hours that you're there, whatever it is, you're literally, maybe you're sweating um, and you're running around like a madman or a woman and it's really good. Um, but I've never worked in a kitchen where I've had the opportunity again. Um, don't get me wrong to, to get to do those sort of hours. Um, that you, you pen, obviously two teams, but I mean, an average meal at Madison Park, I think it's $500. Um, so they can afford to do it. And not many restaurants can afford to, to make that change say so like right you know what we're gonna have two teams because obviously i know how it works with wage costs and you know it's just physically not possible um but i think personally the four-day week you know if you're 22 and you're single 
yeah, it's great. You get three days off, one day to do your washing, one day to get drunk and one day to recover. But four days doesn't work if you're, you know, you're married, you've got a kid, you're over the age of 35. Yeah, let's be honest. I mean, I love cooking. I literally, I love cooking. I love eating more. But um, you know, you go into any kitchen now and the average age of a chef to party is probably 22. Uh, because realistically, when you hit 50, there's no chance you're doing seven till midnight, eight till midnight. You know, so the four-day week works for some, uh, but it definitely doesn't work for a lot of people. Um, and if you did do AM, PM, and you did five days, it would work, you know, a lot better. And, you know, you wouldn't find the average age of a chef dropping because when you do get to 45, 55, and if you do love cooking, you can still do it. But even at the age of mid-30, I struggle doing seven till midnight. You know, when I was 21, it was, a, it was great. You have a few Red Bulls and you fly around the kitchen and you don't even care about your health. It's great. Um, but I think it's a big ask. And that was something I learned. You know, I had a lot of time to think over the last few months again. And obviously, now I'm coming on here and you, you, know, you think about some of the questions you're going to be asked. And you know, when we first went to Hong Kong, now me and Ash, Ash was the head chef now. Uh, he was the sous chef when we opened. We went and they all guns blazed in. Like, right, guys, you now we're all doing four days on, three days off. You're going to love it. We thought we were like superstars, like, you know, the savior. Because they used to do in Hong Kong, you do six day weeks normally. Um, and you, the contract is for any kitchen, you normally get six days off a month. So we thought they're going to absolutely love this, like four day weeks. And we inherited 22 chefs from the previous restaurant. I think within a week, 12 of them left. I'm looking at Ash, like, what is wrong with these people? Like, why do they not want three days off a week? Like, do they not understand? Like, do you have to sit them down and say, look, you're going to love it? Um, and then I, they, over time, you sort of realise maybe if they, they want to work six days, we won't do six days left, we'll do five days. Um, do five days. And it turns out, because they all lived, some lived one hour, two hours away, again, the age. Again, I never really thought of it that way. Like, there was there's 60-year-old chefs in the kitchen. Um, I was amazed. He's like Gary said it's his birthday. I was like, How old are you? He's like, I'm 60. I was like, What? I was like, You look like 35. Um, and it really hit like, can you could I imagine could I imagine doing that job at the age of 60? I was like, no. So you have to respect that. So we we actually put some of the younger chefs on um five days, sorry, on four days, and you know, Gary and a few others who had kids and stuff on um on five days so separate and at the time I was going to ask do we really want to get into this like having different shift patterns for different ages and different people who have different responsibilities outside work I was like you know what we'll just do it and see what happens and it worked um, but in my head I knew that if I did that in London and I gave one member of staff you know, five nights off a week and everyone else had to work four full days it been carnage because someone would have kind of said, oh, I want to watch, I want Tuesday nights off, so I want to watch, I want to watch the Champions League or I want Saturdays off because it's so how come he gets to do it? Um, and it's just a mentality in Hong Kong that, you know, it's almost like respecting the elders. No one complained. Like Gary had every night off, uh, but everyone else did four full days. And it got me thinking, you know, do we, do we need to have this in England or, you know, do we need to treat diff- everyone differently? Um, whether you're 21 and single or if you're, Know, 40 or 50 with you know, two kids because you need to pick the kids up from school. And we had a girl come to Roganic probably two or three years ago. Um, we we're looking for a, a chef to party at the time. And she was amazing, very smiley, very happily, very happy, and she was in a great fit. But she said she couldn't work um, 
she'd only do two nights a week, but she'd do five days to the four days at a time. I was like, I just can't do it because, you know, we don't, we have five chefs, five stations. Uh, so like, we can't do it. I'm going to hire someone else uh, who was you know, a really good chef and turned out to be really great as well. Um, but no, could we change now as, a, as an industry? Do we need to look at it and say the four days don't work? And can we treat everyone differently? Um, which I think down the line, we definitely can. Um, but yeah, long story short, I don't think four days works for everyone. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of research that could definitely go into that. And because you know, four days is still really tough doing eight till midnight. Um, and I don't think it opens the doors to everyone. Yeah, it's definitely, there's no one size fits all. And it's, I mean, when I originally started the Burnt Chef project, the whole thing, the whole concept was people are under a lot of stress. It's causing mental health issues. Let's put everyone on four days. That's going to solve all problems massively. And within the yeah. space of like two months, I was going around and consulting with businesses. And it's like, right, this is, this is what I propose you could do. And they're like, Chris, there's three of us in the kitchen. If we have four days on, three days off, yeah. some, some of the time we're not going to, no one's going to be here. And if also, if that's the case, then we need to then start paying someone else. And all of a sudden there goes yeah. our profit margins. So it was through conversations with Luke Holder at Limewood, um, who works with Angela yeah. Hartnett. Um, and he is, I mean, he's, he, by his own admittance, was that quintessential chef who would literally squeeze every last bit of blood out of a, out of a member of staff. He was the angry, aggressive member of staff that would always shout as well. But he's done a complete 180. And he actually said to me, do you know what? The, the best rotor is the rotor that you put in three to six months in advance, but also at the same time is three different styles of rotors. It is the rotors for the parents. It is the rotors for the young lads who want to do four on three off. It is the one who wants to do only breakfast or what anyone wants to do evening services. And whilst there's you know, you can't bend over backwards and please everyone. He said, by putting these different groups of um, people and their, their different needs into one rotor, I've got an amazing team where I can't get rid of anyone because they've been with me for years on end now and they're happy in their role. And he says, you know, yes, sorting it out initially was a pain in the ass, but I do my rotors now three to, four, three to six months in, adv in advance. I do it once. And he said, then yeah. it's, it's fine. Um, so I do think, I do think you, you, you know, yes, it may work for some, but not for others. And I think it's just a combination yeah. of taking what your team need and trying to be flexible without becoming too overcompensating, if you like. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's, it's also, you know, obviously the staff cost always does come into consideration. Um, it made me laugh when we... I was looking at original organic recipes from, sorry, organic menus from 2011 the other day. And I was amazed at the price of the menu. I think we charged, we charged eight pound more in 2020 than we did in 2010. And when you think, you know, rent's gone up, you know, ingredients have probably tripled in the last 10 years, you know, wage costs have gone up, everything's gone up, yet the price of the menus haven't, you know, it's across London as well. Like you can still go out to London and eat in a really good mission style restaurant have three courses for 32 pounds in london mm. at lunch and you could have done that 10 years ago um so i think you no know, restaurants need to be more honest and say look we need to put you no know, prices need to go up and then people need to be more aware of like why they're paying uh, more for their foods and it does cost a hell of a lot of money to get you no know, food on the plate um at these restaurants um so yeah hopefully you know with covid and people understanding and people thinking and 
again, it's nothing. I, I never really thought about writing rotors or anything like that and over the, until the last few months when you have time to reflect and actually think about your career because you know, I think you know, I'd, I'd love to be able to cook in a station when I'm 50 um, but in the current climate I couldn't do these hours I could definitely do AM or PM like I did in America because um, mm. I really enjoyed it um, so yeah hopefully things will get better that's a good point yeah I mean you know we're always blaming blaming the not getting paid enough or you know not having enough money to be able to afford these sort of things but I think we as an industry are so fearful that the general public won't pay more for their food yeah that we've sort of pigeonholed ourselves into a rock and a hard place at the moment and one thing that the burnt chef project like the food for thought campaign showed me is whereby you know people are adding donation options onto their menu or they're adding it onto the cost of a meal. You know, some places are putting two quid on a main meal, which, you know, if you think about it, you know, upping your main by 50p, yeah. you, you get you get twitchy and think that your customers are going to suddenly leave you. But they were putting two pound, two pound fifty on their main meal and people were still buying it and they were still getting record sales from it. And also at the same time, you know, there was money going towards a, a good cause. So I think, I don't know, <clears throat> one thing that we're looking to do later on in this year is get... Um, we're doing a like a, a video or a movie which is like a behind the scenes of your server or behind the scenes of the chef and it will literally be like um a day in reverse of that plate of food and how that gets to your table yeah. just to try and educate the public a little bit on the fact that uh, it doesn't just magically appear in front of you uh, no. <laughs> yeah it's like even like the cooking is the easy bit like if it was as simple as just cooking it and putting it on a plate it's just everything that goes into that whether you know you the amount of problems that any chef will deal with or any restaurant manager, you walk into work, you know, someone's calling sick or the oven's blown up or, you know, someone, you know, one of the companies haven't delivered the ducks. So there's just so many things that go wrong. It's not as simple as just, oh, yeah, someone's cooked it and played it up and there you go. Um, you know, you're paying for you know, so many different things. Like, you know, like the water, you, know, you pay. I think we installed a water machine just before COVID and I had a, had to basically sell it to my operations manager and yeah it's going to be great it's going to save us it's going to save us x amount of money over the next year because normally people buy water but water will charge three pound fifty for unlimited tap water so to speak and the day we got it covid hit so now we have a, a contract for a year of paying probably 100 pound a month for this bloody machine that only i'm drinking from it's all of the costs that go into this this meal that people don't realize or you know, aren't educated about um, quite frankly um, mm. And it is, yeah, running a restaurant is is really really tough, um, which I've noticed over the last few years. Basically, the more responsibility I get from you know, Simon, yeah, there's a lot of balls to to try and juggle, and it is also a case of things like wastage costs, and as you say, yeah. the general day to day costs, and you've got so so many things. Not to mention at the same time, you're also trying to manage an efficient team and to deal with everything else. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely. It's not, not something they ever really prepare you for at college, is it? No, um, I'm going to college and you see it from a lot of college kids now. Like you go to these open days, it's like, yeah, we are going to train train you up to, be able to run a restaurant and they almost sell you this dream that you're going to finish college and you're going to be on like £35,000 a year and you're going to open your own restaurant and be a millionaire, um, which is, it can be, you know, anyway, like far from the truth as it is because you've realistically come out of college and, you're straight at the bottom of your comic chef picking travel in the corner um which i sort of knew because i was you know did an apprenticeship and i wouldn't have it any other way um but i think even at school 
me, I was, my mum's a teacher and we always have arguments about you know, what I was taught at school um, and what I think I should have learned, you know, how to run a business, and even how to open a bank account, you know, paying your bills, all these things that you know, so many people aren't taught these days. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot to learn from, from that perspective, whether you're a college or school. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm in, I'm in agreement, and this is perhaps a conversation for another day. But like the the school system is is quite suppressive in certain ways because it doesn't teach you real real world living. You know, you don't even do home ec anymore. You don't do, you know, you need to understand how the world works and how economics works and how bills work and all this other sort of stuff. And like, you know, how debt is can be bad, but it also if you're starting a business, it's also it can be good. You can have healthy debt, and I think it's um. Yeah, that's, that's perhaps a, a conversation. Another one, yeah, definitely. Um, but I mean, in, in briefly, sort of in your own words as well, I mean, during your journey, I mean, you sound like quite a resilient chap, but I mean, in your own words, what does subject of mental health mean to mean to you, Ollie? Um, I mean, mental health, again, obviously, it's, it's personally, I think everyone at some stage has mental health, not problems, um, I've been lucky again whenever I have been down um, and I definitely have been down and you know, upset and felt very lonely. I've been lucky to be surrounded by people that you know, have helped me and it doesn't have to be a head chef or you know, a family member. It could be for someone else at Miami, I was probably at my lowest. You know, I, was, I was not eating. I was drinking like 30 cups of coffee a day. I was a skeleton. You know, I was very sad. You no, know, I was didn't get out of bed on the days off. And it was actually a comedy chef. Um, he came up to me and said, oh, Ollie, are you okay? I was like, my chest hurts. I was getting like pains in my chest. I had like some sort of blood problem where I was getting rashes on my skin through probably stress or not eating. He's like, Ollie, I think you should go and get yourself checked out. Like go and sort yourself out. I was like, you know what? No, thanks. I needed someone to tell me, like go and, go and sort yourself out because you do not look healthy and you're not right. Um, and I think more people, you know, if someone has the confidence to come up to you and say you've got problems, you know, it's almost, it's not, I've had a few people recently say to me that I'm, that I'm struggling, um, whether it's I'm you know, not happy with life or, and if they've had the confidence to come up to you and say something, it's almost your responsibility to make sure they're okay and you help them because they've had, you know, it's, it takes a lot to, to go up to someone and ask that. Um, mm-hmm. I know I've struggled in the past to say I'm struggling um so yeah i think it's me to be more together and help help each other out and just talking about like maybe this podcast is absolutely incredible and what you're doing um and people are more aware now and no i mean 10 years 10 years ago to do the press to say yeah whatever go away sort of thing it's it's nonsense you're just gonna have some fun on the weekend um but now it is a real and whether it's social media i mean so i hate social media um i'm addicted to it um, flicking up and down I get out of bed social media get out of the shower social media mm. on the train social media. I can't get off it um, I know from a restaurant point of view it's, it's incredible um, for the restaurant for myself you know, you know, you're almost recruiting now on social media whether it's you know, Facebook Instagram but it's so damaging to yourself because you're constantly looking at other amazing restaurants and what they're doing well, why can't we do that and it puts a lot of pressure on yourself as a group, whether it's the way you know, someone looks. Um, yeah, I th- yeah. yeah. There, there's yeah. 
there's a lot of outside influences now that have a big bearing on our on our um on our well-being like to the point where i, I was on listening to the radio the other day i think it must be like on kiss or something it was just on in the background and there was someone promoting it was an advert they were promoting happy news it was like an app you can download and you only get happy news news that makes you feel good rather than you know the the doom and gloom of the world and i thought that was quite that was quite a unique and interesting turn because i'd not heard of that before yeah, I like that. I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, I mean, especially watching the news recently, whatever, it's always the negative stuff, isn't it? Um, so more positive is definitely, definitely important for sure. Um, and I'm, I've always been someone as well. Um, and it's a bit off, off piece, but I need, I need the sunshine. I need to be outside the fresh air that always makes me happy. Um, I always feel no more no depressed or sad over the winter, over winter time. So especially living in Norway when you don't actually get any sunshine for the best part of, seven months yeah i i know i need you no know, sunshine but when the clocks went forward the, um, before the back of the day and you get an extra hour at night time and i just feel so much better um just sitting outside with the sun um you know the fresh air and that's why it's always important you know on my days i have to make a real concept to get out and we've got a dog and uh, lockdown and you feel so much better after taking it for a walk and just being outside with nature i always mm. feel so much happier inside yeah, definitely. I think nature is is so over in Japan they prescribe nature as a cure for anti as like an antidepressant. As you know, if you if you go to the doctor and say you're depressed, like, well, here we go. Here's a prescription. Go and take a walk in the forest for mm. a couple of days in a row. But I think nature is so underrated um, in terms of the fact that the, the benefits to mental health are are exponential, um, and it's actually yeah. really really quite simple when we strip it back. Because at the end of the day, we're just animals. And like, you know, yeah. we have, we live in these houses and surrounded by these phones and these TVs, but we're, we're stopping ourselves from living naturally, which is being outside, moving, fresh air, wildlife. Yeah. And ex exercise as well. Uh, and eating properly. I mean, that's something I really struggle with is that my, my diet, um, I go through patches of eating so bad and it's definitely like a habit of like, the last 15 years when you're waking up really early, finishing late and you get home from work at one o'clock and you're having a pizza or 25 chicken wings wherever in Hong Kong, wherever it is. Um, and I feel really bad. Now, after a few months, I have to turn around and say, Ollie, you need to wake up that five minutes earlier and just have a bowl of Weetabix and get a soup from the shop for lunch rather than having, like the other day I had, I think I had a packet of chocolate milk buttons for lunch or I think I had two Maltese of chocolate bunnies and a coffee for breakfast the other week. Um, and no, I love I love sweet things um, and I don't think many chefs have that perfect diet but every now and again you need to reset and say look okay you know, you're knackered you're drained you know your bags under your eyes it's not because you're working hard because realistically the last few months I've not been working crazy hours because of COVID um, you need to, it's because it's what you put inside your body and they wake up you need to have a, a banana and orange um, and just that's what I definitely struggle with is my my diet um, 100% that echoes. I was chatting to um, Harriet Mansell. She owns a place in Lyme, Re Lyme Regis, Lyme Regis yeah. called uh, Robin Wilde. And we were chatting and she was, she's been a, a yacht chef, um, traveled the world very similarly to yourself with regards to like just lapping up as many experiences as possible. But she said the most profound things that she's done recently is about as chefs and working in hospitality, irrespective of what position you're in, you have to be disciplined. 
and discipline at work becomes comes almost naturally to because that's the environment that that we're surrounded by but also at the same time it's about being disciplined outside of work so it is like getting up half an hour early going for a walk making sure that you've prepped like overnight oats or something nutritious for breakfast and yeah just building that structure around you so that you are able to look after yourself better rather than um you know just taking it for granted that we're all going to be hunky-dory and we're all going to have healthy healthy and happy lives if we just continue to eat Maltese chocolate bunnies <laughs> and chicken wings. Yeah, yeah like. well, I mean, they are delicious as well. And they're three for a pound at the moment as well, which is dangerous. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, yeah, it's hard. But once you get into that routine, like, you know, I tried tried to do it for Lent. I started to do an exercise a day, you know, whether it's you know, running, cycling, doing a Joe Wicks workout in the front room, wherever it might be. And I did it for three weeks. I felt amazing. Um, but then I had to go up to Cumbria and to do some development with the guys up north and the routine just broke and you come back and you're like oh yeah well you know, the routine's sort of finished now and like two or three weeks later i've eaten really badly and one too many takeaways you have to you know you feel a bit down you're like okay you know what let's get back into the routine you know, go to tesco's buy loads of fruit and try and get back on that roller coaster sort of thing yeah but it is you're right it's, you know, it's something that i've really struggled with and everyone has things they're good at and what they're not good at but i just I struggle with my diet for sure. It is tricky. I mean, I've I've just smashed down a flapjack because I haven't eaten today, and I thought I need some energy for the next two hours whilst I'm doing podcasts and yeah. training and other bits. And you end up just eating a flapjack, and I feel disgusting. Yeah, but and it's midday as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is midday, and you think, oh. I mean, ignore the uh, the easy, quick noodles that are poking above the printer right now because that's yeah, exactly, the other thing. Yeah. Like, I just seem to live on crap, but um. I mean, that's what, one of the reasons why we got the meat on uh, journals printed. So, so like well-being journals. So you can write down, you know, diarise your thoughts, your feelings, but also more importantly, plot and plan your actions as well. So like cross off every time you've drunk a liter of water yeah. and like write down what you're going to eat, what your nutritional goals are for the week. Um, and at first I was like, yeah, yeah, that requires effort. And to be honest, I'm not interested. And I started using one myself and I was like, yeah. this is good. I think it could benefit other people. And so now I end up drinking like close to three liters of water a day, um, which is you know, great in one way, not so great in the other because you're constantly darting back and forward to the toilet. But it does make you feel generally a little bit more vibrant. Um, yeah, because uh, That's right. I, did, I did it a few years ago, actually. Um, I wrote that. So I made a conscious effort to try and not drink anywhere near as much coffee. So, I mean, I go through probably 20, 20 cups of coffee a day, probably and my what i eat is not amazing um so a few years ago i decided to write down everything that i drank or eat in a day and it's amazing how conscious you are of what you're eating and when um by writing it down um and it definitely was a big eye opener to realize okay yeah you probably need to eat more fruit drink less coffee and you know, eat more vegetables because that's clearly what's missing um and it is you know once you write it down you realize and it does make you be more active on what you're doing definitely that's where my like my fitness power is quite good for that because i started when i used to do a lot of weight training i started tracking macronutrients so like your proteins your carbs your fats your sodium all that sort of stuff and when you're entering it into an app and keeping track you're like oh christ i just had three beers and that's almost like a thousand calories i'm like oh shit and then you start to actually in trouble look, yeah yeah you look you're looking at all the stuff that you're putting into your body and you're going, ah, or you'll, you know, you'll grab a quick snack from the shop and it'll be, you know, all of this quick and easy food to go. That's what everyone's, you know, hankering for in a modern day world. 
but also it's full of just sugar and stabilizers and e-numbers and then when you start tracking that and putting that into your body you're like no wonder i've got like you know a gut of a 60 year old and and you know i'm yeah. not in the best shape um so yes yeah, it's, it's 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 well worth doing again it takes a little bit of discipline doesn't it but once you've got it it does yeah. just, once you start building it into your routine you can make some massive changes for sure yeah um in terms of sort of say say for example i'm a college student listening to this now what sort of advice would you give to someone who is looking to to follow the same sort of career path that you've you've led i think they definitely um be proud of being you know, a chef or even more so um in the front of house i think waiter um waitresses um they don't get anywhere near as much credit as they should i mean i know growing up being a chef the amount of people that told me you don't want to be a chef. You don't want to be a chef. You don't earn any money. You don't get your weekends. You no, know, it's not a good career path. You no, know, it's absolute nonsense. I, I think it's incredible uh, job to have. I don't think we put the respect on it that it deserves, uh, especially not front of house. Like, if, can you imagine around any dinner table this evening if any kid said I want to be a waiter or a waitress? You no, know, you'd, you'd be laughed at. But there's or even a chef i was laughed at so many times you don't want to be a chef or my even my dad like you don't want to do that uh, to be proud of you know, what you want to do because it is an incredible industry to get into um and yeah just you know dedicate yourself to it and be patient um and take your time and really enjoy it um yeah that's what i would say that's good advice very good advice because i think that sometimes we look we look at this trade as a as a stopgap or something that we we've almost forced into doing but actually as you say there's so many opportunities if you work in hospitality to work anywhere in the world you can earn you know good good money as well at the same yeah. time and yeah. not to mention the fact that you're surrounded by awesome human beings like what more could you want from a from a yeah you career? can there's so much you can do um yeah almost you see so many chefs say it and i was i was one of those people up until recently, I used to say, oh, yeah, anyone can be a chef. Anyone can do it. You just, you just got to want it. But it's, no, it's rubbish. Like, we're an industry that accepts absolutely everyone, no matter your, how good you are, where you're from, your age. You know, we accept everyone. But not everyone can be head chef. Not everyone can be you know, head waiter. Um, it's not, not a given skill. Like, you go to like, Tesco's, for example, every Monday night I do my shop. And, you know, the guy that serves me every single Monday, I don't get much luck. He doesn't smile, doesn't ask how you are. But you go to hospitality, like it's it's a skill to be able to serve, um, you know, to give that level of service. It's you know, it's a real skill that I think you know people in the industry need to put start with us, but be more open about it and say, look, you know, this is a top level skill. And you know, you, over the last year, you hear so many times whether it's Brexit or you know, we're not high skilled workers. I think it's pretty pretty nonsense really um like even i went to um, on holiday last year more two years ago now i think it was to america and there's 11 of us around this table um in the cheesecake factory of all places and this guy called george came over um and took our orders you no know, start our mains desserts drinks um everyone had something different they were sharing bottles of you know, rose everyone had a different drink different star main the size to share and the guy didn't take any of the notes down, no pen, no paper, no iPad. And I looked around, it's like, did anyone just see that? I was like, so what do you mean? It's like, the guy just memorized 11 stars, 11 mains, 11 desserts, 11 drinks. It's like, 
that's unbelievable. Had a smile on his face, came back, everything was perfect. I was like, fucking hell, like, that's such a skill. Um, had laughs yeah. and a joke, oh, that's why you pay 20% um, service in America, I guess. Um, but I think, yeah, people need to um, put more respect basically on what we do and, and it starts from within industry, I think. 100%, amen to that. I'm, I'm fully appreciative of that. Um, I mean, to wind this up to, to a relatively sort of neat close, I mean, what sort of uh, advice would you have given to a 16-year-old version of yourself? Um, I'd say you know, be honest with yourself. They ask, is this really what you want to do at this time of point? Um, are you enjoying it? Um, and just be honest with yourself, because sometimes I think people force themselves into different you know, whether it's job positions or... Uh, restaurants that probably don't fit them or they're not ready for or they don't want to do they're just doing it for the cv sort of thing um i think you know being honest with yourself and just asking is this really for me right now it's probably the best thing that i could have you know asked myself or given um the advice i guess as a young as a young chef i think it's uh, one of my friends and me quite recent recently um you know, it's almost you need to find your level in the industry there's no right or wrong level but not every chef that i couldn't i look at some jobs in pubs there's no way i could possibly do that um like you have like one chef doing those you know, 60 dinners they start a mains desserts by himself i mean that is incredible um and i'm not a better chef than him and he's not a better chef than me we just do different different line of cooking um and the same you go to a three-star level you see chefs do a 21 in three Michelin star kitchens that just have no idea how to make a lasagna or a tomato soup. Yeah, making foams and making sand out of maltodextrin. It's like, you need to be honest with yourself. Like, do you, are you ready to be here? Do you, is this what you really, is the best place for you to be right now? Or are you here just for the, to put you know, the fat duck on your CV or for example? Um, and it definitely is, yeah, just be honest with yourself and um, take it slowly, be patient. I think that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. That's a great point. And it's also about, you know, trusting your gut instinct because I think, especially I think when, as I don't know whether or not it's just men or women or just, just adolescents as a whole, but you get into these positions where you feel like you should, you have to do things. You feel like you have to be here or you have to work in this unhealthy environment or you have to do this or that or the other. When you know, deep down, it goes completely against your core being, doesn't yeah. it? And, and it, yeah. You just you swallow that and just get on with it, but actually, long term, that's when you start to find that there's there's issues arising off the back of that. Whether that is turning to drugs or alcohol, or you're eating unhealthily, or you you know low mood or whatever it might be, it's your body's way of telling you something's not quite right here. You're not happy. Yeah, for sure. And like it goes like the whole the interview process of when you're when you're looking for your next move, like do your research. Um, like what restaurant do you want to go and work at? Who do you want to work for? Um, is that right for you? Okay, it might be right for the employer to have some 21-year-old just come and do garnish. But okay, what you need to go to these interviews and ask questions like, what am I going to learn from you? What am I going to do here over the next year? If I come and work for you, what can you teach me? Um, which I think, I don't think I've only had one or two chefs ever ask me that. Um, and I don't think anyone's going to look down on people for asking that. But it works both ways, like we said earlier, like working for Simon right now, um, I get a lot from him for sure. 
Um, but it works both ways. I do a lot for him. And as a team, it works well for everyone. Um, and I think too many chefs now send their CVs out to probably 20 different restaurants and they go to work at the first one that responds. Um, and it's just, again, be honest with yourself. You know, think about it, plan it, then make any rash decisions and just think, what do I actually want to achieve? What do I want to learn? And where's, where's that best suited, basically? Well said, mate. Thank you very, very much. And Ollie, thanks for joining me as well. It's been interesting hearing about your journey and learning more about yourself and also speaking to the you know, fair fellow Hampshire slash Dorset uh dorset yeah, chap, look so. forward to get back down there as soon as i can as soon as we have to travel <laughs> so, yeah. i know uh, looking forward to it it's on days like today uh, yeah, and, been... you know when it's 20 degrees outside uh and the end of march you think oh i could do with being on on a nice beach today hey oh yeah so, exactly uh, but yeah thanks for having me on and the podcast is absolutely amazing and you're doing amazing things for, for the industry so thank you very much no thank you it's nothing without these sort of conversations so um Thank you very much for joining me and and uh, yeah let's uh, let's look Hope forward to, see to you soon. yeah next month when things go back to normal hey yeah top round cheers mate Thank thanks for that see you later have a nice day chris cheers bye see i really hoped you enjoyed this week's episode of the burnt chef journal if you wanted to learn more about the burnt chef project head over to our website www.theburntchefproject.com where you'll find a whole host of resources and information relating to well-being and mental health within hospitality. Whilst you're there, why not visit our shop and support us by purchasing some branded merchandise, which we then use the profits to fund our ongoing work in destigmatizing mental health within the hospitality industry. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you again next week. <laughs>